Welcome to Deeper, a podcast by Wollongong Baptist Church. Join us as we take the plunge and dive deeper into God's Word, the Bible. Here, we'll unpack and examine further the Bible talks presented on Sundays across our three English-speaking services. Today, we'll be thinking through more from our latest instalment in our series from the Gospel of Luke as we consider what it looks like to be a radical disciple of Jesus. So, let's get right into it and dive deeper. Today with you on the first episode for 2020 of the Deeper Podcast. Uh, you may be wondering where your regular host, Grace Jones, is. Unfortunately, she's unwell this week, so I'm filling in for her. And uh, I'm joined by Ken, who uh, preached for us on Sunday, the first series in our new uh, first sermon in our new series, Radical, as we look at Luke chapter 13 to 16. Ken, good to have you here. It's great to be here. Uh, Ken, could you first of all uh, run us through and just give a recap for us of uh, what your talk was about and what you uh, covered? Sure. Um, so Luke 13, 1 to 9, uh, looking into, it basically breaks down into two parts. First of all, Jesus is having an interaction with a group of people, uh, part of the crowd that's walking along with him. Uh, they ask him a question and he responds. And then he gives a parable about the fig tree. Uh, I looked at it under three parts, looking at the the startling requirement of repentance, uh, the surprising people who need to repent, and then us thinking through together, what does it mean for us to be people who are repenting? So the the passage uh, starts with that really interesting interaction, the crowd who, for some reason, want to get Jesus' take on this tragedy uh, that has occurred. Um, it's the kind of question that I think resonates with our culture because a lot of people have those kinds of objections, wanting to know uh, how can such a thing have taken place, such a tragedy? What do we make of that? What does God make of it? And so, Ken, I kind of want to put the question of the crowd to you and have you give us uh, Jesus' answer in a sense, which is that uh, if someone were to observe a tragedy that's taken place in a world, a natural disaster or something, mass shooting, something like that, and conclude, wow, it's so unfair that they, that that person over there had to go through that experience and that I've come away unscathed. So unfair that this took place. And in fact, any God who allowed such a thing to take place can't really be a God that's worth kind of worshipping. How would you respond to a question like that? Yeah, if it was just Ken responding, I'd say, yeah, I really feel for you. I empathize with you. And I think that that's... Uh a reality we want justice we want things to be right we want the world to be as we think it should be uh, and so if you ask what's my response i'm going to go with you uh, and i think that that's what's so shocking about jesus we we anticipate this jesus meek and mild the one who's friend of sinners uh, and here he stands up to these people and says in their face uh, don't worry about what's happened to other people you think about what your response is and you need to repent, otherwise you're going to die. Uh, and so it's a, it's a shocking response from Jesus. It seems like he doesn't, almost like he doesn't care about what's happened to other people. And yet we've got to see his caring as the caring of the people that he's speaking to. This is not about what has happened to other people. It's about what are you going to do in light of that? Mm. Uh, and you need to respond by repenting. Mm. 
I found the uh, imagery that you shared of um, encouraging folks not to look through the window, but to look in the mirror instead. I thought that was quite a memorable and helpful way of uh, framing the discussion. I had a conversation with my neighbor a little while ago uh, after um, some bad news, uh, some um, natural disasters around the world, and uh, had the opportunity to kind of address this topic and my kind of go-to line of um, how I try and get them to think about looking in the mirror instead of looking through the window was to say, yeah, it makes you realize that time is short. Mm. Didn't say any more than that. It didn't necessarily lead to anything further, but trying to help people to frame their own response and how they address their own mortality um, uh, instead of thinking about what it means for others. Think about it for yourself. Time is short, that kind of thing. There, there can be a real danger in it. They were actually saying that I, I could do this better than God, mm. um, that I would make things fairer than this. Uh, and we've got to be really careful that, that that arrogance, the hubris, the I'm better than God is here mm. um, doesn't slip in yeah. uh, and that we do genuinely repent and say, hey, God's got this, he's in control and I need to respond to what he's doing in this situation. Yeah, it's helpful. Uh, so the, the main call of Jesus here, the command is that word repent. Mm. I wonder if you could just flesh it out for us a little bit more detail. What, what does that uh, true repentance look like? You did uh, delve into this a little bit. The difference between, say, uh, feeling guilt, mm. feeling sorrow, and actual true repentance. Could you flesh that out for us again? Yeah, yeah. Um, as I, as I said, John the Baptist is the one who actually introduces the term first in the gospel, uh, and he's talking about fruit uh, in accord with repentance, in line with repentance. Uh, and so clearly the, the at issue is the behavior, the ongoing behavior that takes place. You can be sorry about something um, because you've been caught out, but you continue in exactly the same behavior. Uh, you can feel regret for something. Uh, I've, I've shared before that I bite my nails, I regret it, but I continue doing exactly the same thing. To repent is to change your behavior. Mm. Uh, and it's, uh, it's not just the recognition you've done wrong. It's not just being sorry for doing wrong, but it's turning around and starting to do what's right. Mm. Uh, and so it's that behavior that's ongoing, that's consistent with the recognition I've done wrong uh, and that continuing to become more and more the, the behavior, the, the appropriate response. Mm. I find that um, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, the Apostle Paul uh, sort of reflects on what real repentance is and the difference between that and and uh, just feeling bad about um, what you've done. And he says this in, in chapter 7, verse 10 of 2 Corinthians. He said, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death sounds quite like a proverb but um the difference in the outcome there being that uh godly repentance leads to change which brings to leads to salvation Mm -hmm. uh, but that uh, just the the guilt the worldly sorrow uh, spirals downward just into death Mm -hmm. says paul and so i yeah i think that that idea of um what what is the outcome of this feeling that i'm going through this um is it going to result in any change or am i just going to be spiraling downwards towards death uh, and guilt and yeah a lot of people will look at the example of judas there and say mm. was he sorry for what he did in mm. in betraying jesus yeah he was sorry did he have regret yes did he throw the money back into the temple he did all of these things but did he ever repent of what he had done mm. uh, from his behavior we we 
not sure, but we most people assume that he didn't yeah. repent. Yeah, it's a good comparison. Um, you mentioned briefly there uh, John the Baptist being the one who introduces um, some of the themes that Jesus picks up on in this chapter and his call to Israel to produce fruit in mm. keeping with repentance. Jesus, obviously, in the little parable at the end of this section, uh, the, the metaphor of fruit and that being the thing by which the farmer will judge whether this tree is of worth or not, uh, that, that's how he's going to judge. What do, you, what do you imagine John the Baptist and Jesus had in mind when they're calling for fruit in mm. keeping with repentance? What does that kind of look like? Yeah, I, th I think we've got to be careful here because the term fruit is used in so many different places uh, in the Old and the New Testament. Um, it talks about good figs and bad figs in Jeremiah. Um, there's the fruit of the Spirit. Um, there's, there's a number of times where it's used. Uh, and we've got to ask in the specific situation in which it's been used, what does it mean there? Um, it appears both uh, from John the Baptist and what Jesus is saying here, uh, that he's not talking about, I want to see evidence of the Spirit living in your lives, and that's the fruit of the Spirit coming out in love, joy, peace, patience. Uh, nor is it the, I expect there to be fruit, i.e. your talking to people and people are coming to know Jesus. Mm. Uh, here, fruit particularly seems to be about changed behavior. Mm. It's not enough to say, I recognize that um, my having authority over my own life was wrong and that doesn't change anything. There has to be a change that's uh, evidencing that our thinking has actually changed, that mm. we've recognized previous behaviors, previous thoughts, previous words as wrong and now the evidence that we actually really do believe that is that there's a change in those words, thinking, behavior. Mm. Uh, and so he's, he's saying that it's not enough to just say that you're sorry. Uh, you've got to show it in the way that you live it out. Mm. And really, uh, as we go through the rest of this series in chapters 13 to 16, we're going to see more and more of Jesus fleshing out that picture of what a, a life of yeah. fruitfulness looks like, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, I like what you've done in thinking through uh, that issue because you've demonstrated for us um, a right way to read the Bible, which is uh, to take care to consider the context of uh, these words and not just to make connections based on the repetition of a particular word to other parts of the Bible that use that word. That's a, a valuable lesson for us to think about um, how we piece the Bible together systematically and how we kind of form our theological framework to do that careful thinking about context uh, in each of those passages. We're trying to find answers to these questions. That was helpful, thank you. Um, thinking a little bit further about that idea of um, a life transformed uh, of obedience to Jesus, um, there are certainly times, and particularly when we read a passage like this and Jesus mm -hmm. making such a strong call on our lives, where naturally we will all reflect after this and hopefully pray through what our response is. And uh, it's quite natural to do that self-examination and to think, is there fruit in my life that demonstrates my repentance? And speaking personally, and I trust that this is probably true for every one of the people listening and yourself as well, there are times when we do that self-reflection and we think, you know what, I, I don't know whether I can see much fruit in my life at this point. Um, the tree kind of looks bare, so to speak, mm. of the last uh, major change that following Jesus actually had in my life seems like a long time ago. Mm -hmm. 
what do we do in those kind of moments where we, we you know, we're searching for the fruit uh, of a changed life, but it doesn't seem to be anywhere to be found? How do you make sense of those moments in our lives? Should we be worried when we find ourselves in that situation? Mm. Is that evidence of our final and ultimate judgment that we mm. are a fruitless tree that's going to be chopped down? What do we do? Yeah, I, I, I think that uh, Jesus's warning here would be to uh, don't automatically go to comforting somebody in that situation. Mm, yeah. He doesn't want to say, they're there, it's all right. Uh, you've, you've shown that you're interested in me, so that's good enough. Uh, he's going to push you even harder and say, oh, well, you think that there's a little bit of fruit? I'm not sure that I've seen any. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I think he's going to push us really hard and say, where's the fruit? I'm expecting to see this fruit. Mm. Uh, and he's, and he's going to... Uh, say stay in that place mm. and and let it sink in yeah. that the reality is is that you've come to the roadblock a number of times you've recognized that you're going in the wrong direction you've said you're going to turn around but you've jumped the barrier and you're continuing on going in the wrong direction mm. uh, what are you doing here um, and it's right and appropriate for us to say yeah i am here again and i'm doing the same sin that i've already repented of but did I really repent of it if I'm still doing exactly the same thing, if I'm still taking control and determining for myself how I'm going to live? Mm. Uh, and, and Jesus is still standing there saying, and therefore repent. Uh, and so it's right and appropriate for us to recognize that we have been walking the wrong way, continuing to, to go back against decisions that we've made. And at those moments, we're not to trust in ourselves and say, okay, if I just get it right this time, then Jesus is going to be happy with me. That's not what he asks us to do. He says, repent. And so go to him and say yet again, uh, I've messed up. Uh, I've continued to go in the wrong way. And when I said I was turning around, I realized that I haven't. And I've just gone off in another direction again. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I want to walk in the right way. Please help me to, to do that this time. Mm. Um the the call here, you've sort of um, in your answer there helped us to think about the urgency of this mm. uh, exhortation from Jesus. That this is not something that we should let ourselves off the hook mm. from quickly or easily. Yeah. There is a real urgency to Jesus' words here. The imagery of uh, the farmer with the axe in his hand. Mm. I'm reminded that um, John the Baptist actually in Matthew's mm. gospel was he's. Um, uh, uh, announcing the arrival of Jesus and calling for Israel to repent, he picks up that imagery too, that the axe is in his hand, mm -hmm. uh, that he, he, with his winnowing fork, he's ready to <laughs> thresh the, the floor, that mm -hmm. uh, the judgment of God is imminent mm -hmm. here. There's an urgency. And yet, there's a sense in which uh, the Bible also encourages us to think about God as a patient God, mm -hmm. and he's slow to anger. Mm -hmm. And so there's almost these two sort of portrayals of God going on here, that on the one hand, it's imminent, it's urgent, the axe is in his hand. But on the other hand, uh, he's waiting patiently. How do we kind of reconcile those two aspects, those presentations of God? I, I think we've got to accept the tension that both are true. Uh, the reality is God's uh, in control of all things and it has set a time uh, when he will judge. Uh, and that's a fixed time. It's not open for negotiations, depending on what we feel about that. Uh, it's something that he and his sovereignty has determined, uh, has chosen not to reveal to us exactly when that's taking place. There's even indications um, 
that sometimes his judgment's already taking place. Um, the fact that we're released to go and do what we want is, his, is the worst uh, example of his judgment already being poured out upon sinners. Mm. Um, and so it's not a, it's not a case of uh, God's like a, a parent who's counting to three and then they <laughs> add in two and a half, two and three quarters, uh, but then finally snaps and, and starts whacking their child. Uh, this is a, a measured response that God's already determined. Uh, we experience it as patience mm. that when it's undeserved, he continues to give us time. Uh, he continues to hold op- arms open wide saying, come back, mm. uh, turn from where you're going and come back to me. Mm. Uh, and, and so our experience of, of God is that ongoing, patient, waiting, uh, pleading with us to mm. come back. Uh, and yet the reality is is that that he tells us that that's not always going to be yeah. his response. There will be a time when that uh, finishes, not because he gets sick and tired of doing mm. it, uh, mm. but because that's already predetermined time to judge. Yeah, I, I think that's a really helpful distinction that from, from our perspective, it sure looks like God is being patient. We experience it as such. I remember somebody saying to me a while ago that the, um, from God's perspective, if you like, the very next thing on God's agenda on his to-do list is the judgment of the, of the world, that uh, everything else in salvation has been done. And now the next thing that God is uh, going to do is to return and to raise the dead and to call all to judgment. And that's a scary kind of presentation that yeah. um, really God is ready for this. Sure. And yes, we, we, he's patient with us. But don't take that for granted because yeah. uh, a day is coming and coming soon. It's, it's really harrowing kind yeah. of a, a thing to reflect on. Um, zooming out a little bit here, this, this call that Jesus is making for people to repent, um, we, we're not told how many people in the crowd responded to this call. It's kind of left open-ended. Uh, but it's pretty likely that there were some who heeded Jesus' call and mm-hmm. some who ignored it and scoffed at him, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, and nevertheless, Jesus wants his listeners to do this, mm-hmm. to, to take this step to decide mm-hmm. to repent. From our perspective, we experience um, salvation as a choice that we make, uh, that we choose to repent we recognize who Jesus is, and so we turn to him and we receive forgiveness. And yet there are other parts of the Bible that help us to see that even repentance uh, is a gift from God. It's something that God does in us. Mm-hmm. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, for instance, where uh, Paul is instructing Timothy to uh, preach the word, to teach people with great patience, those who are in error, and uh, Paul says, that, uh, in the hope that God may give such people the gift of repentance. Mm. So uh, how do we make sense of this apparent contradiction mm-hmm. that uh, Jesus tells you and me, mm-hmm. choose to repent, do this, take this step. Mm-hmm. And yet there's other parts of the Bible saying, uh, this is something God has got to give people to do. Mm. Yeah, it's a great question, isn't it? And, and this is where we uh, stretch the boundaries of our abilities to uh, put together truths that the Bible presents both aspects of. Uh, clearly, the reality is, is no one will repent uh, unless God enables them to repent. Uh, if the Spirit, if His Spirit is not at work in us, enabling us to recognize 
that we need to make a change, that we've been doing the wrong thing. Mm. There's no way that we can ever recognize that. Romans talks about us as, as dead. Uh, dead bodies don't respond to commands. Mm. Uh, spiritually dead people can't recognize their own sinfulness. And so there needs to be something of God at work in us, enabling us to respond. Mm. And yet we can't allow that to lead us to the conclusion, therefore I'm passive in this mm. and I just leave everything to God. If God's the one who enables me to repent, well, it's up to him to do something in me and I'll just wait until he does or doesn't do that and mm. it's completely dependent upon him. Uh, clearly, Jesus is uh, making a demand upon us. Uh, he's got expectations that there is the ability to change and not only that, we'll be held responsible for our response. Uh, it's not something that he says, okay, oh, well, you didn't repent because God didn't grant it to you. You didn't repent because you refused. You were stubborn. You were hard-hearted. Uh, and so there's an element of um, we've got to be very careful here um, not to assume that uh, I'm capable of doing this and this is completely dependent upon me, um, nor to just leave it to God to be the one to produce it in us. Uh, and so take the responsibility to repent uh, and recognize that as you look back in hindsight at your capacity to even do that, you recognize again, wow, God's so gracious that he was at work in me, enabling me to understand my necessity to actually make that response. Mm. Yeah, that's helpful. Thank you. Well, that uh, just about wraps us up for the first episode of Deeper. I hope it's been helpful for you listeners uh, in helping you to think more deeply and answer some of the questions raised uh, by this really confronting passage. Um, as we finish, uh, let me encourage you uh, to reflect on the goodness of God in this passage. Uh, Jesus is, is, it's remarkable, staggering, that there is even an alternative to perishing that Jesus extends to us here and that the means through which we might access salvation the alternative to eternal per perishing is by repenting and casting ourselves on his mercy. What a great God we have to offer uh, that option to us, uh, undeserving sinful people. Uh, Ken, thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. Uh, we're looking forward to getting more into the series as, it, uh, as the weeks go on. No worries. It's been my pleasure to be thinking through this passage for myself and, and see my need to respond as well. See you all in uh, another week's time. You have been listening to Deeper by Wollongong Baptist Church. We'd love you to join us at any of our services this coming Sunday. For details and to hear further content, please head to our website at wollongongbaptist.org.